You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. We're calling Firm Foundation. With this week's message, here's Connections Pastor Caleb Carmichael. So I used to think I was a good driver. Um, not, not 16-year-old me. 16-year-old me was a terrible driver. Got tickets all the time, lots of wrecks. But, but mid-30s, father of two, rocking the minivan me, I thought that guy was a good driver, right? I'd always try to obey the speed limit. Um, I would always, you know, put my phone away and I wouldn't text when I would drive. Um, I was always very concerned about when I'm parking. I'm parking inside the lines in the parking lot. I see you who don't, right? Um, <laughs> I thought I was a good driver until a few months ago, um, my wife and I went on a road trip with some friends and we volunteered to drive. So I'm driving, my friend's sitting in the seat next to me and the wife's are in the back seat and we're we're heading out of town about to get on the highway and start to speed up to get on the intersection um, when my friend gets a phone call. So he's answering the phone and so we turn the music down and and I'm being the responsible driver that I am, have plugged um, my phone into the car so it's using Apple CarPlay in my wife's car, which I don't have in my car, I'm not used to all the technology, It works, it's cool, plug the phone in, put it the phone away, it's got the maps, it's got the music, so I don't have to look down at my phone when we're driving. So speeding up, getting onto the highway, on the entrance ramp, friend on the phone talking to someone sounds like an important conversation, when all of a sudden somebody FaceTimes me. And when somebody FaceTimes you over Apple CarPlay, it ignores all of the rules that you have set for the car and it just starts blaring at the top of its lungs, it doesn't have lungs, but at the top of its lungs, it's blaring at me that someone is FaceTiming me. And I'm immediately freaking out because my friend's on the phone and I'm trying to be courteous, so I'm trying to like turn it down, but I can't find my phone because I put it away. And so I'm like looking down and then looking at the screen and trying to touch the screen to hit it. And about the moment I figure out how to silence the FaceTime call is the exact moment that I feel the left side of our car come off of the road because at 60 miles an hour, I've hit a median and the left front tire is in the air and then it bounces and then we swerve and then I swerve back the other way and then I'm death gripped on the wheel like this looking straight ahead deer in the headlights and in that moment I just know that everyone in the car is judging me (laughs) and I know this because when I'm in the car with someone else I am judging them because in my head I thought I was a good driver Apparently, I'm not. Apparently, don't get in the car with me. I'm not a good driver. But, but in my head, I thought I was a good driver. When I would ride with people, right, I'd be like, oh, they could have slowed down a little easier right there. It could, could have been a smoother stop. Oh, going a little too fast around that corner, right? Oh, oh. are they really okay with parking their car? Like, like, look, like they're on the line over here. Are they okay with that? I guess we're okay with that. I, I don't know. But I would silently judge people. And so in the moment of my death grip where I almost killed everyone in the car, I can just feel the judgment being poured upon myself. And I, and I don't know about you, not only do I judge people for their driving, there's a lot of other things I've come to realize that I judge people for, and, and maybe you do the same thing. Maybe it's not their driving, but maybe it's other people's stuff, right? You look at what they're wearing, the shoes that they have on, the clothes that they're wearing, or maybe the car that they drive, or the house that they live in, and, and you judge them because either your stuff is better, or like, how could someone spend that much money on that kind of stuff? So either way, you're you're kind of judging them, or or maybe it's not their stuff, but it's their behavior. Like, I would never do what she did. Can can you believe he did that, right? Maybe it's not their behavior, it's it's their kid's behavior. Well, at least my kid didn't do what so-and-so's kid did. Did you hear what they did at school today? 
Maybe it's not their kids, it's their job. You look down on someone because of the job that they have or the job that they don't have. Maybe it's their political party. You look at someone and you think, how could they be a Christian and vote Republican? Or how could they be a Christian and vote Democrat? And you look at them and you say, I can't believe you. And you're judging them based on some outward decision that they're making. And we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount in this series, and in this series we've come to see that Jesus is coming to give this accurate understanding of what life in his kingdom is actually like. He's coming to live out and to fulfill all of the law and the prophets, and he's coming to correct some misunderstandings that the people had of what the law and the prophets were saying. And so Jesus, in our time together, he's this brilliant teacher. He's going to talk to us about what it looks like to judge others and and why maybe we, we shouldn't do that so much. But Jesus, because he's brilliant, he connects things in a way that I don't always see. As we're working through this series, I've seen so many of these connections that I've never seen before. And so I appreciate the fact that we're walking through it slowly. And and over the last few weeks and months I've been studying this morning's passage, it seems like it's three distinct sections at first. And I haven't really seen the threads that's connected them. But but over the last few weeks and months, I've started to see that. And so this morning, we're going to do something a little different. Um, There's three sections of scripture we're going to walk through, and in between each of them, we're going to pause, and Blake's going to come back out, and he's actually going to lead us in a song. And when he does that, we're going to invite you to stay seated where you're at, and we're just going to give you a moment to reflect and to pause in the middle of the teaching. Because what I know about myself is often as I listen to a sermon, I'm like, oh, that's really good. I need to to think about that later. Oh, I need to write that down so I come back to it. And then I walk out the doors and I forget all about it. Um, And and maybe you don't do that, but but I do. And so we're going to give you the moment to pause and reflect a little bit later. But I just wanted you to to be aware as, as that thing's coming. So as we jump into Scripture and we see what Jesus has to say about judging, um, I'd invite you to open your copy of Scripture to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 1. And what we're going to see is that Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He gets straightforward and to the point. And it it might hurt a little bit. I know it hurts me when I read this, but I truly believe that living the life that Jesus has called us to live is a better way of life. So Matthew chapter 7 Starting in verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. First, Jesus begins with a simple command, don't judge. Just don't do it. And then he gives us a why. He gives us a why. Don't judge so that you won't be judged. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving us an application of this biblical principle that you see over and over and over again in Scripture. It's this principle of sowing and reaping. That what you put in eventually is what you will get out. Because here's what Jesus knows is he spent this entire teaching, this entire sermon, raising the bar on people's understanding of what it means to be holy. He's raising the standard and he's calling people to more than simply good behavior. He's calling people back to the heart of the issue and that's their heart. He's calling people back to examine their hearts. And what he knows, he knows that since he's raising this bar is that nobody will ever be able to live up to the standard that he's setting before us. And that's kind of the whole point. That's why he came, to live up to this standard for us. 
And so he knows that the moment that we look at ourselves as more righteous than other people, the moment that we look at ourselves and think we've got it all figured out, the moment we look at ourselves and think that I'm better than anybody else is the moment that we open ourselves up to judgment. And so what he says is because you are all broken, because you've all messed up, don't judge. But if you do, just be aware that the measure that you use to judge others will be turned around on you. And think about it. The people you know who think they're the most righteous, who think they have it all together, who think that they're better than everybody else, aren't those the people who were the quickest to judge others? And if we're being honest, aren't those the people who are easiest to turn around and judge right back in return? Right? The people who are always kind to you, the people who are always gracious to you, the people who always show you mercy, those are the people you're so quick to extend grace back to, the principle of sowing and reaping at play. And so Jesus says, how you judge others is how you will be judged by them. So Jesus says, just don't do it. You're all broken. And it's not just Jesus who says this. This caution against judgment is echoed all throughout the New Testament. Paul, in his letter to Romans, says this. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. James, he says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, that mercy triumphs over judgment. And he continues in chapter 4, and he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge his neighbor? And it seems pretty clear, don't judge. Who are you to judge? We've all messed up, so, so don't judge. And yet, at the same time, we're called over and over again as believers to admonish our fellow believers. We're called to counsel them and instruct them and encourage them and support them and exhort them. And, and all of these things we're supposed to do. And, and how do we do that without making judgments? Right, Paul himself even says in Corinthians, he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Okay, we're tracking so far. But then he says, is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? God judges those outside. And so this sounds like we're supposed to judge those inside the church. So so which is it, Paul? Which is it, Jesus? What, what are we supposed to do here? We're, we're not to judge, and yet we're supposed to judge, and so how do we do this? I think Jesus' illustration helps us here. If you turn back to, to Matthew chapter 7, he says, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If your first reaction when seeing somebody mess up is to immediately go and correct them, or maybe you're not confrontational like I am, then the first reaction when you see someone mess up is to, in your head, think, I'm so much better than them. I would never do what they just did. Right? And if your first reaction is to do that without grace and without humility, but it's to harshly judge the other person, I think Jesus would caution you to pause and examine yourself first. I have a lot of struggles in my own life. One of them is pride and this knack for always thinking that I'm right. And not only do I only always think that I'm right, but I have this compulsion to share my rightness with everybody else, you know, to help them. And if I'm honest, some of the people who get on my nerves the fastest, some of the people who I am the quickest to judge 
are those annoying people who always think that they're right. I mean, like, come on. Like, in my head, I'm like, somebody needs to bring them down a notch. Somebody needs to, like, humble them. Somebody needs to show them up. I mean, like, don't they realize that they can be wrong? How could someone be so arrogant? Oh, yeah. It's me. It's me. Because isn't it true that we judge others based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions? We're so quick to judge others based on what they do, but we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Like when I come home from work and my wife, Sam, and and she's short with me, hypothetically speaking, she would never do that. But hypothetically speaking, if she's short with me, I'm so quick to judge her action. I'm sitting there thinking like, don't you know that I've had a long day at work and I come home and like the first thing you do is you're short with me? Like that's so not fair. But but when I'm short with her, which which isn't hypothetical, (laughs) I'm so quick to give myself the benefit of the doubt. It's like, well, I've had a long day, and you know, I, didn't really, I don't really feel good. I didn't sleep great that last, last night. And, and honestly, if, like, if she would just listen and understand me, then I wouldn't have had to get short with her. So really, this is like her fault, because I, I want to be a really good husband, but she's just not letting me, right? I'm so quick to judge others based on their actions without giving pause or consideration to what's going on in their life to what might be going on in their heart, what struggles they might be walking through. And I judge them based solely on their actions, but on myself, man, I have the best intentions, so I'm the best person. And so Jesus says, be careful how you judge. Use caution. Examine yourself. Look to your heart, to your motives, before you judge someone else. And at the same time, he doesn't tell us to be completely passive, He doesn't tell us to just let everything slide. He doesn't tell us to just sweep everything under the rug. He does call us to remove the speck from our brother's eye. But the heart matters. Are you legitimately trying to help someone when you go to them to correct them? Or are you just trying to make yourself feel better by bringing them down? So be cautious in judging. Be filled with grace towards others because you realize you are just as broken as they are. Look to help others in order to legitimately help them and not just to lift yourself up. And then Jesus, because he's brilliant, he knows what's coming next. Because sometimes even if we do all of this right, even if we've examined ourselves and we're not being hypocritical and we're approaching someone with all of the grace and the humility in the world, legitimately trying to help them, they might not want to hear it. Chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus is saying, if someone isn't seeking after God, if they aren't open to correction, if they don't want to hear it from you, just let it be. And this is so refreshing to me because sometimes I feel like it's my job to fix everybody. Like it's up to me to say the right thing in the right way at the right time so that that person will understand how right I am and how wrong they are and then they'll change themselves for the better. Again, you can see my pride and my arrogance coming out. But Jesus is saying, if someone doesn't want to hear it, just let it go. This doesn't mean you don't pray for them. This doesn't mean that you don't love them. But what it does mean, if someone is actively opposed to the gospel or actively opposed to the correction that you were trying to give them, Don't feel like you have to keep it up. Pray for them, but don't keep confronting them. Okay, so let's summarize so far. Don't judge others. 
But use judgment to help your brothers and sisters in Christ with grace and humility while examining yourself and making sure you're not being a hypocrite. And then if you've done all of that and they still don't want to hear it, just let it go. Okay. If you're like me and you hear all of that, you're left thinking like, how do I do that? Like, how do I know when I'm supposed to do what? Like, I want to do this, but Jesus, I just want a formula. Just like, tell me what to do all the time, but Jesus doesn't offer us one. He does provide us some insight in the next section, but before we get there, we're going to pause. And Blake's going to come out, and he's going to sing a song. And I invite you to to remain seating, and I'm going to invite you to to pause and reflect. And you can do a few things. You can listen to the words that Blake is going to sing and and think about those. You could reread this passage. You could pray. You could ask God to, to reveal to you who it is that you are quick to judge, and then maybe pray for those people. You could ask God to reveal if you have any logs in your own eyes, anything that you are being hypocritical about, that he might reveal that to you in this moment. But what I don't want us to do is just rush through this section. I want us to slow down, to pause, to meditate, to consider what it means to use judgment while not passing judgment on others. So, Father, we give you this moment now. We give you our hearts now. We pray that you would speak to us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus, he continues by picking up this tension that we're feeling. How do I do this? When is the right time to do this? And he's going to contrast the people in verse 6, the people who don't want things from God, who aren't pursuing God, who want nothing to do with God. He's going to contrast those with people who are seeking after God in verse 7. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And this verse right here is why context is so important. It's why reading Jesus' teachings as a whole can be so helpful. And if you've never actually read the Sermon on the Mount in one sitting, I'd encourage you when you go home today or maybe sometime this week, if you've got some time, to read the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It'll take you about 10 or 15 minutes. And what you'll see as you read through it is you'll see these threads that Jesus is weaving throughout this entire sermon And why it's important that we we focus on the context is because I bet that you've heard this passage pulled out of its context to say that if you ask anything, ask for anything, God will give it to you. You've heard the prosperity gospel preach that you only have to have enough faith. And if you do, then you can ask God for anything that you want, and he's going to give you your heart's desires. This verse has been used to reduce God down to nothing more than a cosmic vending machine where you input your faith and God outputs whatever you want want. The problem is, at least for me, is that God doesn't always give me what I want. And so either the problem is me and I just don't have enough faith, or that isn't what this passage is saying. And I think the previous section, especially verse 6, is key to understanding what Jesus is saying here. 
How do you know when to help a brother or sister in Christ or when to let it be? How do you know if you're genuinely trying to help someone, if your motives are pure? How do you know if you're being a hypocrite or not? How do you see the logs that are in your own eyes? How do you live out the life that Jesus has called us to live in this entire sermon? You ask and you seek and you knock. And the promise is that you will find. But find what? Back up to verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I think that the thing that we're promised we will find is what is holy. We'll find these pearls. We will find God and wisdom from God and peace from God. The presence of God is what we will find. And you may be thinking, yeah, that sounds great. God's presence sounds awesome. But what I really want is the new car or the new house, the promotion at work. Yeah, God, your presence sounds great, but what I really want is for my kids to listen to me. Now, what I really want isn't your presence, is I want my marriage to stop falling apart. God, what I really want is the economy to turn around and inflation to go down and the person I voted for to win the election. God, your presence sounds nice, but that's not what I actually need right now. But I don't think that's what Jesus is promising us. See, so often this verse is taken and saying, God, if I pray to you, you're going to change my circumstances into whatever I want. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Again, I think his illustration helps us here. Verse 9, well, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? First, the Bible's so cool. We're going to notice this callback to this bread analogy that Lance talked about last week. How Jesus himself called himself the bread of life. That Jesus, knowing that we need this daily nourishment, we need bread, the thing that's going to sustain us and give us life. Jesus says, I came to be that for you. I came to be that not just for your physical life, but for your spiritual life. The thing that sustains you. The thing that nourishes you. And then he uses this illustration and he says, what kind of father, what good father is going to give his children a stone when they ask for bread? We think, yeah, that's ridiculous. But that's exactly what Satan does. Satan, in the wilderness, when he's tempting Jesus, what does he do? He says, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. What kind of father is going to offer stones instead of bread? It's the father of lies. He's going to offer you stones as well. He's going to offer you these things that might look like bread. They might look good. You might think they're going to satisfy you, but they're counterfeit. They're fake. They'll never give you the nourishment that you need. But your heavenly father, he's a good father. And he knows what you need. He knows that you need this bread of life, and so he offers it through his son, Jesus, that when we trust in Jesus, we can have life and have it to the full. I have a three-year-old son named Grayson, and he asks for a lot of things right now. And we're in this season of life where we have to say no a lot because we're, you know, we're trying to set boundaries, and he just doesn't really process everything. And so we, we just say no a lot, like, uh, no, Grayson, you can't stand on your 10-month-old sister because that's what we walked into the room the other day to find him doing, standing on her. No, no, Grayson, don't stand on your sister. Grayson, no, no, don't use the hammer on the window. No, Grayson, no, don't, don't jump off of that. Grayson, no. Over and over again all day long, we're saying no to our son. And so we try, when he comes to us and he asks us for things, we try to say yes. If it's reasonable at all, we're like, yes, you can do that, or yes, you can have that, because we have to say no so often. But every once in a while, there comes a moment where he asks for something, and because my wife and I were trying to be good parents, we just have to say no. 
I remember when he was about a year, year and a half, um, you know, eating foods on his own, his favorite thing in the world was cheese and yogurt. He just loved all things cheese, all things yogurt. And he didn't really like much else, but he would eat that all day until um, he ate so much of it that he developed this dairy sensitivity. And so he just, he just couldn't have that much. And so we would have to like cut him back, cut him off from the yogurt. And he would come to us and he would ask for more yogurt, like just little big puppy dog eyes. Like, can I have some more yogurt? And we're like, no, buddy, sorry, you can't. And he's like, please? We're like, nobody, you can't. You can't, you can't have yogurt. It's, it's going to hurt your tummy. And he's like, my tummy doesn't hurt. We're like, well, I know it doesn't hurt right now, but in like six hours it will. And, and trying to explain that to, to a one-year-old just doesn't work. And so it's in that moment when he's coming to us, asking us for something that he thinks is good, that he thinks is good for him, that he really, really wants, we have to say no. Because we know it's not good for him. We know it's going to hurt him. And your heavenly father looks at you and he knows what's best for you. He knows that when you're coming and you're asking for things, there are moments when he wants to say yes. There are moments that he can say yes, but there are moments when you come to ask for things that he's saying, no, I know you think it's good. I know that's what you think you want, but it's not good for you. And your heavenly father, because he loves you, that he promises when you seek him, when you seek after what's holy, when you seek after pearls, when you seek after his heart, that you will find it. And it might not be what you want, but it will always be what you need because your father is a good father who loves you. In the Gospel of Luke, we get a similar teaching from Jesus about asking and seeking. Uh, See, the Gospel writers would record their accounts from Jesus from different perspectives, and Jesus would often give the same teachings in different locations and places tailored to his audience. And so this is going to look familiar at first, but I want you to notice a slight difference at the end. In Luke chapter 11, just as Jesus talking, and he says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So far, we're we're tracking. But notice the difference at the end here. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Notice the difference. The good thing that the Father will give us when we ask is the Holy Spirit. You think, wait, wait, I... I already have the Holy Spirit, right? If, if Yes, if you're a believer, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are marked with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. Yes, that is true. But Jesus says when you seek after your Father, when you seek after God, what you're going to find is God. You're going to find that the Holy Spirit will be there to lead you and to guide you. He'll be there to comfort you and to protect you. Mark Batterson, a pastor and an author, he says, the answer to every prayer request is the same. It's more of the Holy Spirit. He says that everything that we ask for when we approach God with a question, the answer is actually the same. It's the Holy Spirit. Because what we're wanting when we ask for things, ultimately, is we're wanting significance or security. We're wanting peace or joy. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we will find those things that we find significance because we are created in the image of God, that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared in advance for us. That, That we were created on purpose, for a purpose, by your heavenly Father, and in that we find significance. That we find security because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit 
Because God promises to never leave us nor forsake us and that no one can snatch us out of his hand and that we are secure in him. And that when we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit is going to produce fruit in and through us. That it's not our own efforts in just trying harder. It's simply by abiding in Jesus that the fruit of the Spirit is going to come out in our lives. This love and peace and patience and kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that are just going to happen when we seek after the Spirit. Because see, what I want when my kids aren't listening and they're driving me crazy is for them to just stop and listen to me. But what I need is the Holy Spirit. Because this Holy Spirit is what's going to produce patience within me. What I want when life feels chaotic and out of control is I want God to change my circumstances and take all of my problems away. But what I need is the Holy Spirit to enable me to live this life that Jesus has called me to live. And what I need is the Holy Spirit because in him is a peace that surpasses all understanding. See, what I want when I'm quick to judge others is I want them to just think like me and act like me and behave like me. But what I need is the Holy Spirit because through the Holy Spirit, I'll be enabled to love my neighbor as Jesus has loved me. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. So again, let's summarize. When you feel overwhelmed with life and you don't know what to do, ask. When life is out of control around you, seek. And when you're just desperate and you need help, knock. And God promises to send what we truly need more than anything else, himself. And so again, we're going to pause and Blake's going to come back out and lead us in another song. And again, we're going to slow down. And, And what I'd invite you to do this time is to simply sit and to be still. And invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you in this moment. Because what I found in my own life is I'm so often quick to rush past God. I get ahead of God's timing. I get ahead of God's voice. And what I found is the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to me in a loud voice. He doesn't shout. He speaks in a whisper. And it's the moments that I can slow down and pause and be aware of his presence that he will speak to me. And so in this moment, as Blake sings, I'd invite you to sit where you are and just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to show you what you truly need in this moment. And then as you do that and you get distracted and you start thinking about all the things on your to-do list and all the things you have to shop for this week and all the Thanksgiving plans you have coming up, just give yourself some grace and come back and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you again. Father, we give this time to you now. We pray and ask that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And so now Jesus is beginning the conclusion to his sermon. He opened up the Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes by showing us who is truly blessed in his kingdom. And the list is not at all what you would expect. And after that, he begins to transition into the body of his sermon by talking about how he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
How he came to live up to this standard of the law and the prophets to fulfill this entire thing. And then he begins correcting people's understanding of the application of the law. And he goes through a section of, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And he's constantly drawing people back to their motives, constantly drawing people back to their heart. And then as he begins his conclusion, he summarizes and he bookends that statement back in chapter 5 about how I came to to fulfill the law and prophets with this statement in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's the golden rule. The essence of the entire law and the prophets can be found right here. And Jesus, so incredibly brilliant, so incredibly simple. If you want a formula, this is the closest thing that you are going to get from Jesus. Whatever you wish someone would do to you, you turn around and you do that to them. Jesus is saying all of this teaching that I've given you in the Sermon on the Mount, the essence of it can be applied in this one simple principle. However you wish people would treat you, you treat them that way. And notice there's no conditions. It isn't treat them this way so that they will turn around and treat you better yourself. Or if they treat you nice, then you can go ahead and treat them this way. He says, no, no, no conditions, no strings attached. Simply treat people this way. And this is what Jesus came to fulfill. That Jesus is the perfect demonstration of what this looks like. Like while we are still against God, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. He died for you and he died for me so that he might take our punishment, the consequences of our sin upon himself. He treated us in the way that we all want to be treated. And so Jesus is saying life in my kingdom looks like this. And what I don't want you to do is let the familiarity of this verse lose its impact. If you're like me, you grew up hearing this over and over and over again. And in fact, I didn't even know it was in the Bible until way later than I should have because it was just so common. It's the golden rule, right? And what Jesus is saying says, this is how you live out my teachings. If Jesus later in his other teachings would talk about what the, what the greatest command is. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So if the commands are to love God and to love others, the application is treat them the way that you want to be treated. And you could walk back through his sermon and you could see how you could apply this to each and every section of it. He starts with anger. When someone's angry at you, how do you hope they respond? You hope they respond with grace. And forgiveness. And so when you're angry, respond with grace and forgiveness. You could walk through the list of lust and oaths, retaliation, loving your enemy, giving to the needy, judging others. How do you hope people treat you and turn around and treat them in that way? And we all want to be treated this way. None of us is saying, like, ah, man, I really hope someone's angry with me today. No, this, this is simple, but it's not easy. But I want you to imagine with me for just a moment what it might look like if we as a a group of Jesus followers in this room decided that we are going to live this out, that we are going to choose to treat others the way that we wish they would treat us, even if they never do, even if they're still mad at us, even if they're still angry with us, even if they still hate us, we are going to choose to respond with love. What would that look like? 
What would your relationship with your spouse look like if you chose to give them the benefit of the doubt, to respond and treat them the way that you would hope they treat you with zero expectations of anything in return? What would your relationship with your kids look like, your your relationship with your parents look like, your roommate look like? What would your relationship with your coworkers or your neighbors look like? What would the city of Wichita, Wichita Falls look like if we decided this is how we're going to live our lives? And if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, that all sounds great, but you don't know my spouse. This feels impossible. Like You don't know my kids. You don't know my boss. You don't know who I'm dealing with here. There's no way that I could do this. This is impossible. You're right. You're right. On your own, you can never do this. On my own, I can never do this. On our own, we all fall desperately short of this standard. But the beauty of the gospel is that it's not up to us to do on our own that Jesus lived this standard for us and that by trusting in him, we're marked with this Holy Spirit that we've been talking about. And then because of that, we have the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to empower us to live in the way that Jesus has called us to live. It's not up to you. Your job is to simply abide, to be with Jesus, to lean on him. It's not to try harder and work harder and to just grin and bear it. It is to trust in Jesus day by day, moment by moment. So let's ask, let's seek, and let's knock, expecting that the Holy Spirit will provide. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.